I would like to talk about effort and control, struggle, stuff like that. So a few people have uh, mentioned already this week in discussion sections and I think in here about how there can be times when it they're trying to observe the breath <clears throat> and it feels like they're controlling the breath. And it's a very common feeling to have that we're just trying to observe our experience in some way and yet there's this element of control and it's, um, it's interesting. And so I'd like to talk about that first of all. Um, and to begin with just um, why we practice using an anchor at all. And the reason for that is bringing our attention to a simple, uncomplicated, neutral process and keeping it there over a period of time by itself calms the mind, makes the mind more clear, more stable. And we experience that clear, calm, stable mind as something really good. And so this part of the talk, I'm claiming to be a fact, right? A really, really interesting fact, like an empirical fact of psychology. This is how the human mind and body work. So that bringing our attention to a neutral, meaning not extremely pleasurable or not extremely painful, bringing our attention to a neutral process like the breath or like the ambient sounds or like the feel of the hands or like the phrases that we use when we practice metta or there are dozens of objects that can be used, dozens of different methods that could be used here the attention we bring to the sensations in our feet when we do walking and standing meditation. All of these are examples of fairly, for most of us, fairly neutral processes. Right? And if, it's, if one of them isn't neutral, then it wouldn't be the best object or process for you to use for this purpose. And... Uh, So connecting with the beginning of the in-breath, sustaining the attention with the flow of sensations as the the in-breath unfolds, connecting with the beginning of the out-breath, the middle, the end, seeing it dissolve, staying connected with not much happening there for a few nanoseconds, beginning of the next in-breath, just this simple activity is um, the 
key to developing concentration, which has these qualities of stability, clarity, um, a delighted interest in things. It's a very simple sort of pleasure and a profound pleasure. And uh, this is something that you can get a taste of and probably have in some cases. Just, you know, the mind becoming calmer, the body being energetic. It's not a passive, flat state. It's not a blank. It's not a non-physical thing. It's a highly physical, highly energetic um, state when we deepen concentration a little bit. And uh, this activity is not easy to do because our minds naturally are not accustomed to staying with such a simple process. We're looking for something more stimulating in our daily lives. And and so it takes effort just to, to, to try this out. And, um, and as we make that effort, um, we can actually overshoot. We can try too hard. So I'm trying to stay with the normal natural breath. And I'm highly motivated for some reason. Right? Um, <laughs> I'm here. Right? And so, okay, might as well give it a try. I think maybe a lot of these people are lunatics, but as, <laughs> as long as I'm here, I might as well try. And so you, you are trying, and, and there, it's possible to try too hard. It's really interesting, right? And so we learn from our own experience. You don't really need me to tell you, you know, that getting the balance is important. And so um, one kind of piece of good advice is not to evaluate too much, but insofar as you do evaluate what's happening, keep an eye out for the right balance of effort relative to the way in which you're actually connecting with the object that you're staying with. And if it seems like you're always missing, okay, there might be a reason for that. Sometimes the reason is not enough effort. Sometimes it's too much. Is this making sense? Like, I mean, in terms of your own experience. You can interrupt me when I give talks, if you have a question. It tends to make it more interesting. So there's an interesting uh, Tibetan kind of uh, text that describes some stages that people go through when they begin meditating. And uh, um, basically it's kind of a Tibetan take on what 
Jazz talked about last night in terms of the hindrances. And one feature of kind of what happens when people begin doing this sort of activity is um, we deal with drowsiness, lethargy, and so forth. And we also deal with restlessness, excitement. So Chaz mentioned these two of the five types of of hindrances. And um, in terms of connecting with an anchor, if you notice that you're in a lethargic state of mind and body, then one way to think about it is in terms of just this practice of using an anchor to ground our experience, is tighten the situation a little bit, rouse some energy. And in terms of the actual, like connecting with an anchor, if you can connect really precisely with an anchor, put some effort into that, that can actually rouse some, some energy and reduce the lethargy. On the other hand, if you're really restless and about to explode, your mind is wild and all over the place, then it can be a very good idea to think in terms of loosening the situation. And here, that can mean shifting to an anchor that's more spacious, like sounds. So if you've been connecting with the breath, then shifting to the ambient sounds, just kind of letting the mind be spacious and open, uh, is one way to, to loosen the situation a little bit. But the interesting thing is here, we want to loosen it without just turning off. So we want to stay connected with our experience, even while loosening the mode of apprehension so to speak. And so, um, in this Tibetan text, they talk about laxity. That's an English word that's used for this state involving lethargy, heaviness, and so forth. And one thing I've always found really interesting is they talk about coarse and subtle laxity. And coarse laxity is, is um, um, actually the mind is stable, but it's not, it's, um, it's clear, but not intensely clear. That's subtle laxity. Coarse laxity is where the mind is stable but not clear. So they're making a distinction here, and I really don't know what they mean by it, for sure. (laughs) But what I've found interesting is that they're making that distinction. And so, um, it's like the mind can be stable and somewhat clear but not intensely clear. And the reason that's been a good motivator for me is there will be times when, yeah, this is pretty good. 
it's kind of calm. Maybe this is what they were talking about. As something, why why meditate? Right, the mind is kind of calmed down a little bit. It's stable or it's somewhat clear. And that just the fact that this Tibetan text is making this distinction between coarse and subtle lax- laxity, between clarity and intense clarity, has been useful to me. It's like, okay, is my mind intensely clear? (laughs) I don't know. What if I put a little more effort in? in? Just in that moment, can I connect more cleanly? Maybe, maybe I can, maybe not. Um, the idea is, of even using that example, it's like, I really don't know what they mean, but just the fact they talked about it was, has been very useful in practice. And likewise, the sorts of things I'm talking about here, they might be useful to you in practice but primarily just to get you in this ballpark of paying attention and just appreciating, okay, yeah, it's in this tradition. They talk about tightening and loosening the mode of apprehension. They talk about making skillful effort. What does that mean for me right now? Right? And not looking for the answer from me or from some text looking for the answer in your own experience. There's uh, this great guy, Tanisaro. Some of you may have seen some of his stuff online because he puts everything online on his website, uh, access to insight.org. And a lot of... <laughs> Just Google Tanisaro. <laughs> So he's got a lot of translations of uh, the the Pali Canon and a lot of really great short essays and so forth. He's really interesting, really practical and also deep. And he tells uh, this story of, you know, working with a Thai monk. And um, the monk said... uh, Bring your mind down. And Tanisar is like, What? <laughs> what do you mean? And this is, by the way, Tanisar is a very scholarly guy. You know, he knows this literature. And, and so he was like, What do you mean? And the guy said, the monkey is starting with, um, forget about your books. Forget about the theories and the knowledge that you have. Just go bring your mind down. And so Tanisaro says, it's like, so he brought it down, but wait a minute, no. It feels like it should go up. And then, is, you know, and then I, got, I got the hang of getting the right balance. And it wasn't because of the conceptual knowledge I had. It was because I got a feel for it. Right? So probably his teacher was, was uh, I don't know what his teacher, I don't know what his teacher was meaning. 
but I might guess he was, maybe the energy was too high. Bring it down a little. Balance it. I shouldn't say that. Tanisaro didn't seem to know what he meant, so I shouldn't speculate. (laughs) Uh, But the point is, uh, these ideas can be really useful in the sense that we get the idea that there's a skill that can be developed here. And so, connecting cleanly, clearly with an anchor to develop concentration is something that human beings definitely can do. Doing it with balanced effort is really important. And we can learn from our experience with trying to do it. Yeah. It's okay to to be intelligent, and so that <laughs> and so yeah, go ahead and make some ju- judgments there. <laughs> do you have a more? Do you have an example? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's what this talks about. We'll get to it, the more interesting stuff. (laughs) Right away. So, yeah, so the point of all that was figure it out yourself. <laughs> but it's really interesting. Um, and and it, I do regard it as like an empirical fact that this, these methods work. And there are lots of different ways to work with the methods. And it's actually a very personal thing exactly how it's going to work for each of us. And so the one side is, like, when I teach this sort of thing to college kids and everywhere nowadays, it's like, I'm not experimenting with this, right? With this situation. You know, like, I like to think, I like to reflect on how odd it is to sit around in silence and do walking in silence and not talking and so forth. But, you know, I know that it makes sense. And so in that sense, it's not an experiment. But in each and every case, 
in each of our own cases. It's, an, it's a radical experiment. So um, <clears throat> a few years ago, I did a long retreat at my house by the, by the Maumee River in northwest Ohio. And I, um, uh, ended up staying there a whole year by myself most of the time. And I hadn't intended, I had taken a leave, and I had intended to do a retreat, but I hadn't planned to stay there, but I had, like, after the spring semester ended, I had a couple weeks, and then I was actually supposed to come here for some retreats, and uh, then I was supposed to teach a graduate course in the summer, and I had a few obligations, and then I had the time, you know, and I, but I had two weeks, and so I've done that many times. I'll just do a couple of weeks here by myself, and then come and teach here, and then do the summer, and then maybe do a longer retreat somewhere, and I started doing that period, and it was like, wow, this is a good place for me. It's a good situation. Just the solitude is kind of extreme, but yeah, it feels right this time. And I've worked with a lot of teachers, and so yeah, just being alone makes sense. And so I ended up just kind of canceling and, and flaking out on various things that I was supposed to do that summer and stayed there. And, um, and it was, I, I wouldn't have been doing it if it didn't make sense, you know. I had no, I had never even planned to stay more than like another few weeks. It's like if I'm still on, wanting to be on retreat in a few weeks, then, <clears throat> you know, I'll certainly go here or there there were different places I could go, you know, and ended up staying there. And yet it was frequent that there would be this question, what, what am I doing here? And not just an abstract thing, but just like, no, no really. <laughs> well, am I, you know, just like a poignant uh, loneliness and like, why am I wasting my life this way? And then I would sit and time and time again there would be a shift. And so that that question was totally answered. It was exactly what I should be doing. And I had a phrase for it. Um, The shift was to no struggle. And I'm not sure that's the right phrase. You know, that was just kind of what I began thinking of it as. And 
it was my practice primarily for that time. I wasn't, uh, setting it up so that I would, I wasn't trying to set it up so that I would feel this unease and this uncertainty and this why am I wasting my life thing. You know, but it just kind of naturally happened that way so that um, I would go in and out of this ease And, and so from, from that experience, I became quite interested in like the passages in the Buddha where, from the Pali Canon and other places where the Buddha is reported to have talked about these sorts of things. And like one analogy that he liked to use in talking about these types of shifts from a state of struggle or conflict to a state that's more peaceful is of a, a person walking. So the person is walking on the road and sees someone standing and goes, oh, that looks better. I think I'll stand. And then he's standing. This is in the Pali Canon. (laughs) He's standing and sees someone sitting and goes, oh, that looks pretty good. I think I'll sit. He's sitting and sees someone lying down and goes, Oh, that looks pretty good. I think I'll lie down. And he uses this analogy both with respect to deepening concentration, the shifts that can happen as we get more concentrated. And he also uses it with respect to Nibbana and kind of deeper and deeper contact with Nibbana. or with the uh, a word related to Nibbana is Nibbuti, which is kind of the Nibbanic element. And um, there's a, um, a monk uh, from Thailand, Buddha Dasa, who has great discussion of Nibbuti um, in his book, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree. Because in his opinion, it's a common element of human life. It's accessible and it's common. And so there's a nibbuti element when you're just laughing freely about something. Yeah. Yeah. Nibbana is the Pali word. Uh, Sorry, Uh, Nibuti.
Oh, oh, sorry. Um, It's, as far as I know, what it means is, I don't know know what it means in, in enough detail to say much more. It's the way Buddha Dasa talks about it. It's it's the nibbanic element that can be part of ordinary experience. It's not the same as nibbana. So there's a, another story the, the Buddha told about his own life, where uh, he has been practicing these austere practices. You know, inspired by something to do it. Actually, inspired by uh, the wish to to be happy. And uh, you know, it's the way the way the story is attributed to the Buddha. He. has been doing these austere practices, fasting, and so forth. And he's sitting, meditating, and he remembers an experience he had as a boy, where he was sitting in his father's orchard. And it was a peaceful moment. And he was happy in that moment. And he is said to have thought, whoa, (laughs) could that be the way to enlightenment? And the way the, the story goes in this sutra where he's reportedly telling his life story, he goes, the thought occurred to him, yeah, that's the way. That opened some doors for him. And the teaching that came out of that is joy and rapture are the gateway. It was the joy and the peace that he felt in those moments, which were like, yeah, that's the way. And it's said in contrast to the austere, intense, self-mortifying practices he had been doing. There's another piece of literature in the Visuddhimagga where they're talking about deeper, going into deeper concentration and uh, so someone is is meditating, and it's kind of peaceful. It's good. And then the thought arises, I wonder if there's a more peaceful state. And then the mind goes, yeah, I think so. And then the mind shifts into that state.
Yeah. Yeah, and you want it. Yeah. Um, the way Tanisaro describes that is like, um, yeah, we're naturally attached to things. And as Chaz was talking about desire, you know, we get something we want and then we're immediately looking for the next hit. And it might be that when we notice this, it presents itself as a problem. And if it does, then we might want to do something about it. If it doesn't, then there's probably no reason to do something about it. And Tanisaro has a beautiful explanation of how smart the Buddha was about this sort of thing, which is, yeah, we learn how to cultivate states that we enjoy that are more workable relative to attachment than the things that we go for based on the habits that either come out of our conditioning as certain types of people in a society or out of just the instincts of the body or or things like that. And so the idea is we can enjoy what happens when we meditate, when we do develop a skill so that it makes sense, so that it's not just struggle, that we actually can experience some of these good states, these shifts into more peaceful states. We naturally will like them and want more peaceful states. This is desire but it's a more skillful situation for us because the states themselves are such that they naturally open into the free heart more easily. And so uh, the Tanasaro's interpretation of this is that uh, the Buddha was skillful enough to see that we're not automatically just going to break these habits of going for the next hit. And so the idea is to train the mind to go for pleasures that are more refined and that actually provide us a basis for a deeper sort of happiness and freedom. And so the, um, the deepening of concentration, you know, using an anchor, uh, insofar as that does work for us to, to access some peace, joy, comfort, so forth. Um, we're, if you know, when, insofar as we like it, our natural habits will kick in. To yeah, I want more. 
I want everyone better. Right? But uh, this is like an extremely optimistic picture about how the mind works on its own. Right? Just the native intelligence of the mind. You know, and that was kind of the point of these different stories. Uh, that it occurs. I wonder if there's a more peaceful state. I think so, just intuitively, (laughs) right? Um, Yeah. Great question. If you can do it just by deciding to, that's great. And maybe some can, right? Just like can see that, like, the, the, let's talk about the really big picture, right? I mean, there are the states of concentration which are great, but the Buddha talks about the free heart, the heart's release, the, you know, the heart that isn't stuck, that's not struggling, that's, that's fully alive and not struggling, that's peaceful, that's, yeah, uh, that's not attached, that's really able to connect because not stuck in a small world centered around thoughts of me. And, and so, uh, you know, it's, I'll get back to your question in a second, if I remember it. <laughs> um, but one might kind of like wonder why don't we just, okay, if we're talking about the freedom of the heart and more peaceful states and so forth, why don't we just start there? Why bother with this struggle to, you know, sit in silence and not look at each other and and try to connect with the neutral object and so forth? And... Um, you know, yeah, if, if you can, great. And I don't mean that just as a joke, right? Uh, it's like, you know this. It's, it's, if you are trying to do something because you think you should or because someone else thinks you should or because you have some image of an authority who thinks you should, but it's not really making sense, then pay attention to that. Yeah. But most of us, and, and, and see what you need to be doing. The reason that renunciation is part of this story, and we don't like that word, right? We hardly talk about it. Uh, but that's what we're doing this week, 
you know, you know, we're letting go of a lot of normal habits and interests and projects and loves and friendships and everything to be here. And the reason uh, it can make sense is to give the, the mind a chance to cut through some of the habits that we have. conditioned patterns of thought and action and so forth. So when the Buddha was, uh, he was talking with his seven-year-old son about bringing attention into actions, paying attention to why I intend to do something, to the fact that I do intend to do something, and just asking, is this skillful? Skillful how? Skillful relative to my own happiness and other people's. And then when we do that, we... notice things. With Rahula, the Buddha emphasized the importance of telling the truth to other people. And and, and the precepts emerge out of this. It's not a top-down, this is what you should do. The precepts emerge out of what people tend to find when we bring attention to this these patterns of wanting something and planning to do it and intending to do it and then acting and paying attention to the consequences. Did it work or not? And in this situation here, we can bring that same attitude in. Like we can pay attention to our motivation, to what happens when we meditate to the results. We can be intelligent about it. If there's a skill that can develop. And um, what was your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. That's I was trying to figure out why I was talking about that. <laughs> Sorry. This is about over. <laughs> she she pulled the hook. <laughs> and so the, the the one side of it is yeah, we can think about it in an intelligent, skillful way. Right? We can, by paying attention, like the advice he, the Buddha gave to Rahula, like, look, you can bring attention into this process of wanting something and planning and intending and doing and experiencing the results. And if you pay attention beforehand and while you're doing it and afterwards, if you bring it, attention into the whole process, you will 
probably learned something. Right? I, um, a few years ago, I noticed that I was spending time every day checking some stocks I had bought. <laughs> and this is an example every, you know, all, and, uh, of doing what the Buddha told his son to do. I've noticed that <laughs> I noticed that I was like eager to check how these stocks were doing every day. And kind of getting involved in doing that was, it, it wasn't dumb, didn't, you know, it wasn't it, kind of like, you know, I've, since I was, I was a boy, I knew I was going to have to earn my own money. And so, and then I kind of, at one point it dawned on me that, wow, people just buy stocks and then they get rich, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, and I, um, so I kind of got in the habit of paying attention to that. And I was talking with a friend of mine, Diana Winston. And, you know, she was just curious. She wasn't judgmental. But she was just curious. Really? So how's it working? And I was like, eh, it's not working that well. You know, I, I buy some and then it's, they go down. And then I sell them, and then they go up. So I buy them again. <laughs> and she goes, oh, I don't think it's supposed to work that way. <laughs> and so she, like, talking with her helped me bring my attention to this, like, oh, yeah, this may not be so smart. And then it was also like I would be checking them every day, like, oh, yeah, oh, they went up. Oh, they went down. And, you know, I had the wisdom to, to, you know, this isn't smart. This, you know, and also, like, a friend of mine had told me this 10 years before. I just put him in a mutual fund, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> they do it for you, you know, and they tend to go up after a while. And, and so th- uh, I stopped doing it. And it's it's like, uh, I mean, it was actually more serious than that. It's it's like I I read a, of a study recently where they sh- they had this result that people who are thinking about money, who are who, you know in the experimental situation, they're triggered to think about money, and they correlated more thinking about money with less empathy for people in that situation. And intuitively, it makes sense, but this was an experimental result. But I also could, could, could see that this is a waste of time for me. It's, it's just, you know, it's not working financially, and it's a, a waste of time, and it's not the sort of way I want my mind directed. And, uh, you know, thanks to Diana's influence and her interest you know, that was a big part of it. It wasn't a small part. I'm more skillful in that area of my life now. And so that's an example of bringing attention 
in a, in a way, and I'm more peaceful about money also. And so I take it that when the Buddha is talking about being smart, being intelligent, paying attention to what really works and what doesn't, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, we can do something about this. Right? Likewise, with respect to practicing, to deepen concentration, it's like, yeah, we can develop skill there also. Uh, and so it's not like we have to kind of wait for somebody else to do it or something like that. So one part of the answer would be there yeah, we can bring a lot of intelligence into this process. But the other side of it is like simply, you know, even when we get a glimpse of yes, it, the ego is this striving for the good. And sometimes most of the time it makes a lot of sense be striving for the good, and yet it's something very limiting. And there might be a better way to be alive than to be caught in this small pattern of striving for the good, especially when it's kind of the good or my good. So we can have that idea that it would be better to be different and then strive to be that way. or strive to make that change. And that's not going to work. Because we're striving more and more based on some conception of things. And so the other part of the answer is that we can be open to a shift, to deeper concentration, to more freedom, but we don't manufacture it. So, um, <clears throat> thanks for your attention. One more question. Two more questions. In the walking, mm-hmm. just the um, can you just feel the sensations in your feet? It's that's that's the simple neutral anchor to connect with there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, like we can get the idea that, okay, I need to capture something to take. And it doesn't work that way either. You know, whatever we get out of it will be something that we experience in the moment at that later time. And that's where, you know, we can develop a skill around that too. So we can learn from our own experience. We can pay attention, you know, just like you have been, like thinking about, okay, I want this to be useful later. There were two parts to your question or comment, right? One was about later, and the other was just the practical thing about walking.
So in walking, uh, it's, it's as simple as standing and shifting your weight. Just, just feeling the changes there. And just letting yourself relax and ground in those sensations. That's the anchor, and that it's that simple. And then we, walking's a great practice for many people because it does actually reappear in ordinary life, right? Just walking from here to there, right? It's an anchor that we can just connect with in, a, in that kind of ordinary walking. We can talk about that more. Well, yeah, there were two, actually, two questions right there. Yeah. Would be an example. Staying connected in those moments when it's really hard. Just staying connected with the experience. And, and being aware, this is hard. And allowing... So if we're bringing struggle in then we can be careful with that. We can pay attention. Is it skillful? Right. So we're, it's not a constant trying to figure it out, but it's just an orientation to, is this making sense? Is this skillful? And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're back to the, it's actually hard work, and it's, it's difficult. I've had a, a lot of moments where it's difficult, right? It's stuck. And I can notice the inclination to space out or to change. And where my skill in meditating comes in is knowing, stay connected now. Don't panic. Don't space out. Don't try to fix it. Stay here, stay connected. To get out, go deeper. But be intelligent. It's not a blind fight. So 
Thank you for your attention and your questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.